Today is a good day, PJ Glass. A great this day, is, Joe. This is, this is the happiest I've been to start one of these podcasts. Joe Malpa here alongside PJ Glasser for episode five of Glass of Joe. And finally, it took till episode five, but we have baseball back, PJ. Yes, we do, Joe. It's about damn time. <laughs> I took them long enough. I don't want to. I don't want to like jinx it, but like we have it tentatively back. At least there's an agreement. They still got to get over all other humps that have to do with coronavirus itself. But finally, the MLBPA and the MLB are in agreement. 60 games set to begin either July 23rd or July 24th. So a month from now. And uh, PJ, we started this with Tim Kirchner as our guest. He started off by saying there would be a season. His confidence wasn't totally there. Fast forward. uh, Let's see. Who was the next guest that we brought it up with? We brought it up uh, with... Very, very briefly with Joe Beninati, just talking about how, how all sports right. might come up, and it was kind of iffy. Now, now, finally, finally, it is back, and we are, are, are good to go. It, yeah, and did you think about Tim yesterday? I mean, I did. you had to. Tim was he, in the back just, of my mind all day yesterday. I, I felt, Tim, you know, guys like that you felt good for. And yeah. I, like you said, I'm happy it's back. And to me – Yes, it's only 60 games, but at least we got something. Exactly. And to me, this almost has like a college football regular season feel to it. True. And everybody knows the importance of the regular season. They'll, they know the importance of every game. To me, the aspect that's really not getting talked about enough is how much pressure are on the managers. I mm. think that all the managers will be getting their money's worth this season. You're going to find out your ball club, how good your manager is. Because every game is so important, it's going to be interesting to see the strategy between whether or not teams go with four or five-man rotations. Now the fact that both leagues have the DH, all those NL managers have to adjust with the DH every single day. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see all that. I love the new schedule, by the way, too. The fact that there are 40 divisional games. Mm-hmm. So already you had 60 games, and now 10 of those games are against – each of your divisional opponents, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's, it's going to be – I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And it's probably – look, obviously you want more games. But it's under the circumstances probably the best they could do with Manfred mandating it and the two sides not really agreeing on something else after months of negotiation. It's kind of frustrating that we ended up back at the yeah. agreement that was already – uh, agreed upon on March 26th. So, you know, if they would have agreed to the sooner, it could have probably been 82 games. But because they had to drag it out, it's only 60. But I, I was reading a piece in The Athletic that Joe Davis uh, retweeted this past week. I saw it. It came up on my timeline on Twitter. And it was way above my head. It was, a, it was like a statistical analysis that had like R factors and certain percentages. I only took intro to probability, and that was four years ago. So I, over my head. But the gist of it was that there was a big difference between uh, a 48-game season, if that's what it was, or like 89. 89. From 89 games on, with very, very good accuracy, you could kind of already predict where the standings would end up after 162 games. Granted, there's going to be outliers. Look at the Nats last year, got hot in the back half of the season. There's always outliers. But by and large, a statistically significant amount, you could predict really well at game 89. So obviously we're not at 89, we're at 60. But within the article, it said 60 is the bare minimum that you have to get to in order to feel some sort of statistical significance. So it's not the 162 that's really representative. Uh, You know, last year the Mets made a late run 
they would have been dead in the water at 60. The mm-hmm. Nats won the World Series, dead in the water at 60. So it's obviously not going to be normal, but it's, it's not a normal year. We had to find the best alternative. 82 would have been nice, but as far as anybody who wants to uh, delegitimize the season, statistically speaking, over the last few decades from, from the research that was done in that piece in The Athletic, uh, 60 was the floor they had to get to, and they're there. And, and what you mentioned about more pressure on the managers night in, night out, sure, it's only 60 games, but it's going to be 60 intense playoff-like exactly. games. Like exactly. in a 162-game season, uh, a Tuesday night when the, when the Yankees are playing the Orioles, the, the Yanks don't care. Now they still win 17-2 to two because Glaber Torres hits a million home runs. At, at easy, 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 easy. <laughs> but but uh, on that Tuesday night, random Tuesday against a bottom feeder like that, how many teams mail it in? How many teams don't care? I right. see it all the time with the – now, granted, the Mets aren't of the ilk of the Yankees, but I saw it all the time last year with the Mets. You know, they'd have a great series against a good team when they're on their A game. And then they have a three-game set against the Marlins and get swept or lose two out of three because they just didn't care. So you're taking out of the equation all of those, um, you know, games that you don't care about, and it's all important, so it's going to be a lot of fun. Think about this, too, just the perception of 60 games, right? In the midst of 162, you have teams go on winning streaks all the time, eight, nine, 10, 11 games. Say a team like the Orioles, the Marlins, the Royals, the Tigers, teams that are thought to not be very good this year. Think about if they get hot and yeah. win 11 games in a row. And then over their next 10 games, they maybe go 5-5. Five and five. Just like that, they're 16-5. and five, And they're a third of their way done with the season. Exactly. So, you know what I'm saying? I mean, it There's- really is a free-for-all. These are still major league players at the end of the day. You get a couple hot pitchers that start games for you. You get a couple hot hitters in your lineup that win a couple games for you. you ne- especially of with course. all the divisional games, you never know. And I went back and listened to, to our interview with Tim, and, and he said, you know, 78, 74, 82, all those numbers, no argument, legit, legit season. You get down to 48, no. But there was that gray area of the 60s that he briefly mentioned but didn't touch on too much. So we ended up in that gray area. But I, like, like we said, at this point, everybody's on equal footing. They're all dealing with it. Uh, sure, you might have a team that gets lucky who, who wouldn't have made it in a 162-game season. But by and large, again, with the statistical significance shown in that study from the athletic, you're going to get the best teams in with maybe a couple outliers. I'm, I almost, it's weird for me being a Mets fan. I almost kind of, there's part of me that hopes as much as I think we should look at the world series champ as legitimate, no matter who wins it. Cause again, everybody's on equal footing. I almost hope the Mets don't win it because I'm a Mets Jets Rangers fan and none of those three teams in my lifetime have won. So I almost kind of hope that the Mets don't, because I don't want the first time that I experience a championship, to, to be looked at as tainted by other people. Like, I don't want to ever have that question hanging over my right. head. You know, if, if, if everything goes sideways and I'm an 85-year-old man on my deathbed and, uh, and the Mets 2020 shortened season championship is the only one I ever got to see, first of all, something went terribly wrong if in that 60-year span nobody that's else That's the only it. one. <laughs> but if that's the only one, I would, I would hate that because everybody would – would still be like, oh, you know, but it was 60 games. It doesn't really count. So I almost kind of hope I'm in a weird spot where I look at it as legitimate, but I know other people won't. So I don't want to deal with the jokes the rest of my life that, oh, the one time your team won something, it was 60 games. So I almost, I almost kind of hope the Mets don't win it. And I, can I tell you, I think the shortened season favors teams like the Mets, like the Nationals, teams with great starting pitching. Because, again, if it's tight down the stretch, especially with all the, the time they've had to rest, DeGrom, Syndergaard, they can go on three days rest. 
and all of a sudden they're pitching. Syndergaard's out for the year. Tours UCL, but oh, the rest yeah. of the guys. Okay, yeah, see, yeah. I, those that's something that I even told right. you about <laughs> because there just hasn't been any baseball for months. So. You're right. I know. Um, I got to look at all the new players on the new teams to try I, exactly. and remember. I, I'm excited to, to see finally Mookie Betts in a Dodger uniform and uh, Garrett Cole in a Yankee uniform. Possibly, I know the news came out that his wife is is pregnant, and uh, one of the stipulations they announced also yesterday was that. It was previously legislated, legislated like it's law. It was previously stated that um, any player who decided to opt out for personal health reasons would still get paid. They expanded that, to my understanding, to if you have an immediate family member or household member that is at risk, you could also opt out and still get paid. So but based on that, if that report uh, does end up coming totally to fruition, Garrett Cole could opt out because of his pregnant wife. Uh, so we might not see Garrett Cole in Yankee uniform yet, but, uh, yeah. but as far as everything you're saying, yeah, we'll finally get to see all these new faces in new places. The teams that you were picking, if this was a 162, so the Dodgers, the Yankees, do you still see them as yeah. the favorites? Those are still the teams that I'm picking. Look, at the end of the day, they're the best teams, whether it's 10 games, whether it's 40 games, whether it's 240 games, they're the best teams. Uh, it, over the long slog of a 162-game season, it's able to balance out because, you know, if last year all the injuries the Yankees had, they had all that time to make it up. Now this year, for example, if, if Giancarlo Stanton and Aaron Judge go on the 15-day injured list, well, that's probably going to end up being seven games, eight games, which now instead of being a small fraction of your season, it's a much larger percentage of your season, about 10%. So it, it could hurt them. It could hurt these bigger teams if guys get injured. But, uh, again, that – that athletic article is what I keep going back to. The statistical significance of 60 games. They got to that number. The cream will rise to the top. You can, of course, have a, a, a runner. Like last year, I know the Mariners were really hot early on, and then it mm-hmm. ended up on a historically bad losing season. Mm-hmm. So you, you'll get those teams that will sneak in instead of fading. Uh, but by and large, the best teams will win. And especially, especially when it comes down to the playoffs, uh, even if a team as bad as – the Marlins sneaks in. You think they're going to get past the Dodgers in the first round? No, like they're probably not going to. So, so sure, it might be, it 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 might, um, kind of cheapen making the playoffs. But I don't think it cheapens the champion because at the end of the day, you're still going to get those best teams in the playoffs who who make the runs. I'm very excited to see uh, how many uh, statistical records could get broken like well we see a 400 yeah hitter, all those things so that, <laughs> that's what i'm keeping my eye on what will will mike trout bat 500 you know something crazy like that something too you know everybody's talked about how bad this has been for baseball i wonder though if the fact that it's only 60 games the fact that there's going to be so much emphasis on every game and these teams will be trying so hard if it's almost good for the game because no of how it intense be. it'll be because of all the divisional games you feel like they're going to be close you know, I'm trying to be optimistic here. I'm glad baseball's back. But of course. Um, in, in a way, that could be better, and you're going to get more intense games. But again, just, you know, as far as taking a step back and looking at it all, how badly, how badly baseball dropped the ball because oh, they, they had a chance. They had a chance to be out there in, in May if they wanted to, if they were able to agree on something. Back when we were talking to Tim around Memorial Day, they could have probably started first week of June or so. So they had a chance to already be in action for a month and a half. And instead, they're only going to get a seven-day – if everything is able to get up off the ground running, NHL, NBA, MLB, 
they're only going to get a, a seven-day window where they're the only sport in town. So they totally, totally dropped the ball on that. Yeah, and again, for did. what? They, it it would have been different if they ended up agreeing on something. Right. But they didn't, and they just went back to the March 26th agreement. So that's what the frustrating part is. And looking forward, you know, that's why I don't have much faith that they're going to work something out after 2021 when the CBA expires. Like, there's just still so much animosity between both sides. I know one of the big issues is the players want the owners to open their books and show the numbers, which only the Atlanta Braves do that now as a publicly traded company. And that's one of the big sticking points that I believe is being pushed for by Scott Boris. So Scott Boris denies any involvement. You know a million percent Scott Boris is involved in all of this, one of the most powerful men in baseball. And for him as an agent, as far as getting the players possibly more money, getting more money in his own pocket working off commission, uh, getting the owners to open their books is a big chunk of this equation because some of the players and the, and the MLBPA, they don't feel like the owners are being truthful. Uh, yeah. as far as how much they are making versus how much they might lose this year. And, and that's a big sticking point that I know it seems like they want in the next CBA is for the owners to open their books. So there's so many things that are still going to end up in heated debates. They're going to be very contentious about. Uh, but at the end of the day, at, at least we get something. It's not much. It might still not get up off the ground and running if we address that elephant in the room because of the spikes in certain states. But at least for the first time in months, there's something to celebrate and be happy about and have hope about. And you mentioned they dropped the ball. They'll have their one week in the sun when they start the 23rd or 24th of July. And then here comes the NHL. Here comes exactly. the NBA. You'll have all of them competing against each other. So we'll see what the baseball numbers are like. We'll see what the hockey numbers are like. And there's also the, uh, um, the extra inning rules, too. I'm curious to see if that'll stick yes. in the future. Yes. And, and my favorite part about that as far as, like, statistical anomalies, now you technically could have a perfect game and lose. Because if you've got, say, a low pitch count and you pitch into the 10th inning, runner starts on second base. If, if, you're, in the, if you're pitching in the bottom half of the inning, so, all right, Jacob deGrom is on the road against, uh, against the Marlins. 0-0 zero, zero game. Bottom 10. Marlins coming up. Start with a guy on second. You get a sack bunt, you get a sack fly, and he had a loss in a perfect game. <laughs> so you could actually you, you could always get a loss and a no hitter because of an error, a walk, hit by pitch, whatever. Yeah. But now technically you could actually get a loss in a perfect game this year. Only you, Joe, think like that. That's why I love you. That's beautiful. <laughs> well done. Well, one of our guests coming up knows a whole lot about baseball and plenty more. We are delighted to talk to him, the great Sean McDonough. Pleased to be joined now by play-by-play broadcaster for ESPN, one of the radio voices of the Boston Red Sox, Sean McDonough. Sean, thank you so much for being here. How are you? How's everything going? Everything is, I guess, as good as it can be in the world that we live in. It's crazy and sad. And uh, for those of us who do this for a living, a little bit boring. You know, we've <laughs> worked with sporting events since mid-March. But you know, other than that, we're fine. Just praying that uh, you know, all this suffering that the world is going through will come to an end soon of course no question um we have a lot of things we want to talk to you about today we're excited to have you and we're just going to jump right into it with the big story of the weekend coming out of uh college football news the 23 clemson players that tested positive for covid19 and at least 30 lsu players that were quarantined after hearing that how optimistic are you for a college football season well obviously that diminishes anybody's optimism i think you know it's a uh, cause for concern you know, I've wondered all along just logistically, you know, how this might be done. You kind of had hoped until recently 
that it was trending in the right direction in terms of number of cases and spread and that sort of thing. But uh, now that cities and states have reopened, at least in phases, and people are going back out, you know, we're seeing those spikes all over the place, including in Arizona, where I'm sitting right now. So uh, still optimistic, but uh, probably less so than I was a week or so ago. Now, as they do end up playing games, we all know it's going to be different for the players possibly playing empty stadiums when they're used to upwards of 100,000 fans. But how weird would that feel for you calling a game in, in front well, of an empty stadium? But I guess it would remind me of when I first started out 100 years ago with doing minor league <laughs> baseball when there was basically nobody in the stands either. So uh, you know, back then you were kind of conscious of how loud you were talking because you realized you were almost distracting the people who were sitting in the stands near you. Uh, it will be strange. You know, I think it'll require an adjustment for all of us. I still don't know, you know what, what the plan is. I think those things are in flux. I know there are a lot of conversations going on at all the networks and with network people and conference commissioners and schools and that sort of thing about how the logistics will play out when they start playing again. You know, we just found out uh, yesterday that they're going to play the PGA Championship in August in San Francisco. That's been given the green light. So I'm um, going to be a part of the broadcast team for ESPN for that. So right now, really just waiting to find out, are we actually going to go there? Are we going to broadcast it from someplace else in the studio? Are we going to do it from our homes? You know, there are a lot of variables. But uh, if, as long as it's not sitting in the stadium with fans there around you, it's going to be different for sure. And now we know you're a man of many hats. You already mentioned just now you've got golf coming up. Uh, one of those is your baseball cap. So what do you make of the 60-game season that we're now slated to see? Well, as we're talking, I think we're still waiting to make sure that it, the other things are solved, you know, the, the health and safety protocols and that sort of thing. There are a couple more issues. Sounds like the players are going to say, okay, we'll go ahead and play this uh, schedule from what I read this morning on ESPN.com. If they don't, they basically have to go on strike, and that doesn't seem likely. It would be incredibly tone-deaf. Uh, even more tone deaf than both sides have been to this point, that they, you know, they're still slugging it out over money and this sort of thing with all the things that are going on in the world. So uh, that'll be interesting. It'll be fun in some ways. I mean, you know, over the course of 162 baseball, game baseball season, you know, often you say, well, you know, we lost tonight, we'll come back and get them tomorrow night. Well, every loss is really going to seem much more impactful in a, in a 60 game schedule. So. It'll be fun. I hope they can do it, and I uh, hope everybody stays healthy while they're doing it. You just talked about it a little bit. My next question for you is going to be about that relationship between the owners and the players. You've covered a baseball. You've called it for spanning three decades now. You know how the relationship between the players and owners work. Do you think this is the low point of the relationship so far, and because of the riff right now between the two sides – do you think we could see another possible work stoppage when the CBA is up after the 2021 season? I'm not sure it's a low point. I think canceling the World Series was pretty low. I think it's the most, I hate to keep using the same phrase, tone deaf, you know, that they could have this kind of a public spat uh, about money, given the financial situation that they all enjoy, or at least uh, the owners and most of the players enjoy. So uh, it's just, it's, crazy that we could be dealing with the pandemic and now dealing with all of the racial stuff that's going on in the in the country uh, things that are really important and um and that these guys could have a this kind of a public you know mud fight uh over whatever you know so 
Uh, it's pathetic on all sides. Uh, I've said many times there's really no side to root for, in my opinion. But um, at least they're going to play a 60-game schedule. At least it looks that way. Not to the other part of your question, yes. I mean, you know, given the history, given, given the rancor in this particular problem, you know, I, I think we're looking at problems going forward, too. Uh, issues that will have to be addressed with an eye toward next year. Wanted to take you back now to some of your earlier days in broadcasting when you were with the Red Sox doing TV play-by-play from 1988 to 04. 04, of course, the year that the Red Sox ended the curse, won the World Series. Watching that team every day, being around them every day, during the regular season, did you ever get a sense that there was something different, something special about that team? Uh, not the first half of the season. You know, they kind of uh... – limped along a little bit. I, you know, I think at one point they were 41 and 40 or something like that. You know, I think when they traded Nomar Garcia-Para, uh, that changed things for a variety of reasons. And I think that was a, you know, the turning point. But for the first half of that season, for sure, you know, it was, it was kind of a, the narrative was that they were having a disappointing year. So it is instructive, I guess, to how things can change, uh, particularly if you make a couple of changes. Um, you know, I was on, I uh, watched Moneyball the other day, you know, this reminder of all of a sudden you can win 20 games in a row, right? When it looks yeah. like you're going nowhere. So you never know. It's one of the great things, obviously, about sports is uh, it can change. And sometimes it's hard to explain why. But, you know, obviously it became a special season. And uh, I was grateful that it happened when it did. Because as you said, PJ, that was my last uh, season doing the, the game. So it was nice to... You know, have it be in a historic season where they ended the 86-year curse. And piggybacking off of that, after they made the comeback against the Yankees, did you have any doubts at that point? Uh, no. Once that happened, <laughs> I think you kind of felt like, okay, this is destiny. I mean, if that happened, coming from three games to none down, and then um, uh, they didn't win the World Series, no, that would – Actually, that was probably been more fitting of the narrative of Red Sox history then. You know, going, yeah. okay, how are we going to find a way to mess this up now? So, but it's funny that you mentioned that. You know, the early, much earlier in that calendar year, dear friends of mine asked me to uh, come to their wedding in Hawaii, in, in Maui, right? Not a tough assignment. In the uh, end of October, November, I can't remember what it was exactly, but sure, of course, I'd be honored, blah, blah, blah. So, as the season's going along, you know, I didn't really think about it. Their wedding is during the World Series. And then um, as the Red Sox started to turn around, I thought, oh, their wedding is going to be during the World Series. And then, so in my own mind, you know, when it's three games to none, it was like, well, now at least I won't have to worry about, yeah, I'm going to be in Hawaii when the Red Sox are playing the World Series. So, of course, it happened. So now I'm thinking – should I bail out on their wedding? I mean, that would be a kind of a lousy thing to do as a friend. And uh, it was kind of a small wedding. So uh, I go to the first two games at Fenway, you know, as if we can't TV announcers, local TV, we can't broadcast the game. So I was just there as a fan. I ran into a buddy of mine in the concourse who said, Hey, I was going to see you. I've got a private plane taking us to uh, St. Louis for games three and four. I have a house. We have a chef. We have, and he named all these fun people who are mutual friends of ours. And I said, I appreciate the invitation, but I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Uh, I'm flying to Hawaii to go to a friend of mine's wedding. And he's like, oh, my, I mean, the Red Sox are going to you know, win the World Series. For the I said, I know. But, you know, my, one of the things my dad always said was, you know, you have to do the principal thing. And 
you know, the people are the most important thing. So literally the next morning I'm sitting in Logan airport. Um, it's one of these 17 leg flights from Boston to Maui because I was using my frequent flyer miles, right? So they make it difficult. So you have to go, you know, like Atlanta, Winnipeg, Tokyo, whatever. So, uh, I finally get there. I drive all the way across. When you get to Maui, the Kapalua is probably another hour drive, rent the car, drive over. It's been a, probably a 20 hour, 24 hour travel day somewhere there. I get there and the married couple, about to be married couple, was standing in the lobby greeting people. And she says, I can't believe you came. I told Mark to tell you it's okay if you don't come. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god the red Sox are in the world they're gonna win the world series like oh my god i looked at my friend like really so Did they have uh, the radio on Did they have the radio on during the reception well you know the because of the time difference there and we were there a day or two early they act we were all by the pool in the late afternoon hawaii time watching there were a lot of boston people there and uh so you know keith folk flips the ball over to first base and People are throwing each other in the pool and throwing drinks on each other. And so I had told you know everybody the story and I talked about how my dad was, was never going to, my dad had uh, just passed away. He was never going to see the Red Sox win the World Series. But, you know, and I told the story about hearing his voice in my head when I was sitting in the airport. So literally we're all celebrating and um, a buddy of mine, there had just been a little rain shower. That happens a lot in Hawaii, especially that afternoon, there's a little passing shower. My buddy said, hey, look, and right over the top of the hotel was a rainbow. You know, it, I mean, literally at the moment, wow. the Red Sox. And he said, that's your dad. You know, he's up there watching. He's proud of you for doing the right thing. So that's awesome. I don't know if it was the right thing, but uh, <laughs> at least my friends can never say I blew off their wedding for the, for the Red Sox. But uh, you so I was You're actually there when the Red Sox won the World Series. But I do have a, a ring to prove that I was a a very, very small part of the uh, season. There you go. And obviously you mentioned your personal ties to the team. And last year you were able to return to Fenway for some games on the radio. Being from there, all the personal connections you've already laid out, how cool is it after that 15-year layoff to, to be back calling games for them again? Yeah, I was working on 15 years rest. You know, I was like a pitcher <laughs> was, was ready to go. Uh, it was really cool. You know, when they first called me the radio network, first of all, I love doing radio and one of my – regrets is that I've done very little radio really since I left minor league baseball in the mid eighties, a long time ago. So uh, when the Red Sox called and said, uh, WEI, the flagship station of their radio network called and said, we'd like you to come back and do some games. I was really excited. And then friends of mine said, some of them said, why would you want to do that? You know, you're busy the rest of the year with football and basketball and golf and all these other things and you're traveling all the time. And, um, and I just thought, are you crazy? You know, it's the Red Sox. <laughs> what play-by-play -play person in America, you know, wouldn't be thrilled and honored to be asked to be one of the announcers for the Red Sox? And then Joe Castiglione has done the games now for almost 40 years uh, on the radio. He's a legendary guy. He's a really good friend of mine, a wonderful guy, and that was fun. Got to know Will Fleming very well, who was with us last year uh, doing updates. And if we play this year, we'll be uh, more involved with play-by-play -play and still doing updates. And he's awesome. So. It was really fun. So when they called me again at the end of the year and said, hey, would you like to come back uh, next year? Absolutely. So hopefully there's going to be a next year. Yeah. A lot Should easier of a decision to make as far as going back to the Red Sox than it was deciding between missing the World Series and going to the wedding, I would, I would assume. Right. Well, you know, last year I did 30 games, and then they talked me about doing more. And 
I wanted to do a few more, but you know, part of it is you do want to enjoy your summer and, and uh, that sort of thing, especially when you're busy in the fall and winter. So <laughs> I said to them, how about if I do 40 games? And they said, well, you know, how about 60? I said, well, how about 40? So <laughs> I didn't realize when I said 40, there was going to be two thirds of the schedule now, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, I'm eager to do it. You know, I'm going, I'm really just kind of itching to do anything. I've been basically sitting around for uh, more than three months now hoping that uh, we'd have some sort of sport to call. Yeah, I think I've been getting my fix about competition. I've become a watcher of the Game Show Network, which <laughs> as of a couple of months ago, I didn't even know existed. So, uh, but now maybe it's just to watch people compete against each other or teams yeah. compete against each other. And I find myself stopping and watching it. So just uh, anxious to get back and, and do something. Sean, and I think yeah. it'd be great for America when, when we start playing. And I just hope yeah. that they are able to execute it safely so that, uh, you know, we don't have large numbers of uh, the participants getting sick. And then, uh, you know, that would be obviously a disaster. And I think, you know, they you go back to your original question about the college teams. I, I think if there's any concern that, that this is going to be, I think you anticipate if you try to play that there might be cases, you know, people who might get it from not even being around sports have it outside, but now come into a team environment, you get a, obviously mitigate that as best you can. But um, if this is going to be widespread instances of people making each other sick, then it, sports is not that important in the grand scheme of things. Of course. All right. Wanted to talk a little college hoops with you. And uh, one of the games that you've called that's one of the greatest games ever is the Syracuse-UConn six overtime games. I just wanted to ask you what it was like calling a game that went to six overtimes, and more importantly, what was it like spending all that time with Bill Raftery and Jay Bell? Well, you know, I, I would say at Bill's age, you'd be worried about him dozing off to sleep at that hour of the night. But, the, uh, but as, as you two probably know, I'm sure you know, uh, he actually stays awake later than most people, uh, significantly younger than his age, for a variety yeah. of reasons. Uh, social time, we'll call it. But uh, it was – you know, especially now during all this stuff that we've been talking about, the uh, the pandemic with all these networks playing classic games over and over and over again, you know, it's been fun to see that one pop up a few times. And then friends of mine, uh, like Danny, will uh, right. reach out to me and say, hey, you know, the game is on or, you know, whatever. So you know, it's kind of reinforced how lucky I've been to, you know, be in the right place at the right time in a number of instances where games like that have broken out. But, you know, Obviously, it gets to overtime. You think, okay, it's been a, a good game. It's an yeah. overtime game. But anyway, as each overtime went along, you know, we all realized, you know, we were watching something really special. And to have it be six overtime games, one of the longest in the history of college basketball, and then have it be, you know, in Madison Square Garden. At the time, Syracuse and Connecticut were great rivals. I think both coaches were already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Calhoun and Bayheim, they kind of had their own rivalry. So, and then everything that went into making it a great game. To me, I've said many times in talking about it that the, the most interesting thing out of lots of incredible things that happened was Syracuse was never ahead in any of the first five overtimes. Not even for one point, by one wow. point, for one second. They were either behind, tied or behind, tied or behind, tied or behind. And in the first five managed somehow to get it to the next overtime. And then in the sixth overtime, obviously, they finally took the lead and won the game. But uh, – Tremendous number of uh, great plays, you know, some terrific individual performances, you know, guys getting into the game who you never thought would come close to getting into the game and then are really important down the stretch. 
I thought it was a wonderfully officiated game, which, you know, uh, was part of what made it a classic. You know, they, uh, you almost didn't notice them, which for, to be out there for that long uh, says a lot too. So, yeah, it was interesting. And as Bill Raftery said, uh, famously, uh, it's the only time he ever got home from New York City after three in the morning and his wife wasn't mad at him. So, uh, <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was fun. And to do it with Jay and Bill, I mean, the game was great, but I was really proud of the, the broadcast. You know, I thought uh, from a producing, directing, graphics, camera work, you know, everything that goes into a TV production, it won the award. I think it was the National Association of uh, uh, the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences um, gives out an award for like the best live sports broadcast of the year, and that won it. And it um, you know, obviously the game had a lot to do with it, but it was one of those times where you kind of felt like the the production was uh, was worthy of it too. You know, I think everybody involved, with myself perhaps being the exception, um, you know, was up to the up to the moment. And sometimes that doesn't happen. You can have a great game, but you feel like wow, the, the TV show was a little sloppy or whatever. Or you can have an unbelievable tele television production, but it was a 42-3 to three football game and nobody noticed. So right. that was one of those nights where it just kind of all came together. Now, I know what I'm calling a baseball game or something, and it's already in inning 10 or 11. Like, I'm already reaching for an extra bottle of water, an extra cough drop. How many waters did you crush? Teams mm. did you drink? Well, that's the problem because you don't have time to go to the restroom. And, uh, you know, you keep crushing waters, which is the best thing you can do for your voice. You know, hydration is uh, the key for vocal cords and water is really the best thing. So, um, you know, especially when you get to my age and Billis's age and Raftery's age, although this was, what, 12 years ago? Um, uh, over a decade ago. We were all considerably younger then. But, um, no, I mean, I, I just, uh, I think the, the biggest thing that I got concerned about as went along is losing your voice. You know, you're, because we had already done a game earlier that night. It was a doubleheader. That's the other thing that you always wondered about, I forgot too. about that. That's why yeah. I got over 1.30 in the morning. It was three and a half hours, but it started at nine-something, whatever it was. So, right. um, But you wondered, like, what if this was the first game? Would they have played the second game? You That's know, they point. sent them out there at 11.30 at night. I guess they really would have, right? They probably wouldn't have any choice. But uh, And then Syracuse yeah. played overtime game the next night, right, in the championship? Yeah, I mean, it was almost cruel, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. Part of their story. You know, the, the funny thing was when they made the announcement, you know, we talked a moment ago about so many things about it that you'll never forget. The They made the announcement, you know, that those of you who came here on the subway, you know, on the train, uh, the last train is, you know, leaving at whatever. 1230 or something and mm -hmm. and nobody got up and left. matter of fact a lot of people booed like boo you know we're, we'll find our way back to the suburbs or something you know but nobody was going to leave Bob Costas has told the story a bunch of times um he called me the next morning and he said hey I just wanted to call what a game blah, blah, blah. he said uh I have to tell you a story I'm in Hawaii we go back to Hawaii he was with his wife and um mm -hmm. they had a rest a reservation go to a restaurant that was known for its sunset so he's getting dressed, he's watching the game. Of course, he's a Syracuse grad, so he had a little more interest in it than any. But I think anybody, even people who weren't Syracuse or UConn people got caught up. And I had so many texts from friends of mine said, I had no rooting interest in this game, but I couldn't stop watching it. It was one of those things. But Bob said, so we're getting dressed. And I said, honey, you know, watch call a restaurant, see if they can take us, slide us back 15 minutes. You know? <laughs> so he called, honey, watch call again and see if they can slide us back another 15 minutes. So... By the third or fourth time, you know, she says, we're going to miss the sunset. You know, he's, we'll go tomorrow night. I have to see the end of the, <laughs> end of the game. So, uh, 
I think a lot of people have that kind of experience with it. Do you think that's the craziest game that you've ever called, would you say? Yeah, I mean um, – Is there anything that's even a close I, second? I spoke, what's that? I'm sorry, Joseph. Is there anything that might be a close second might be the better question. Well, I mean, I, I think it was for that prolonged period of time. I mean, you have things that uh, – like the end of the Michigan-Michigan State football game a few years ago when right. Michigan botched the punt. You know, that was a wild ending. It was, you know, dramatic because it was the last play of the game and it was you know, two premier schools. Rivalry, obviously, is, you know, spirited in-state rivalry. And, you know, Jim Harbaugh was still relatively new there. There was a lot that went into it. But, um, but that wasn't the whole game. I mean, the, the, the six overtimes, it was just back and forth. And, you know, as I said, guys making great plays, guys making really bad plays, you know, um, you know missing layups and dunks. And, but then coming back and doing something uh, equally outstanding. So uh, I, I just think for, for something of that duration, there, there are a few things that I've seen that compare to it. You know, I, mm -hmm. I think it's one of the great games in college basketball history. As I said, it was magnified because of who it was and where it was, and that it was in the Big East tournament, which already had you know, three decades, wherever it was, of, of a pretty proud history and tradition. So, yeah, it was uh, – you know, especially now with everybody's doing podcasts and lists of the top 10, this, that, or other thing, great games, greatest players. And I, uh, right before all this happened, I got asked to speak at the Cronkite School here at Arizona State to a sports broadcasting class. And the professor said, you know, could you make a list of what you think maybe are like the top 10 moments or games that you've done? And when I sat around, you know, it was harder than I thought because you start to remember well, wait a minute, that was really a great game, too, or that was really exciting. So, um, but SU-UConn, that game would be, at, you know, at or near the top of the list. The, the 1992 um, Game 7 of the National League Championship Series, Sid Bream and the Braves and the Pirates, and, you know, uh, Bob Costas did a series on MLB Network, the, the greatest games of all time, and I think that was number four in Major League Baseball history. So, you know, to, to be there for that. And that was pretty, especially the ending of that, the bottom of the ninth, that was pretty yep. wild. You guys probably weren't even close to being alive yet. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you can watch it. It's on all the time now. During Yeah, no. Seen it if you haven't seen it, you should, because it really was one of the great baseball games of all time. Now, those are some of the craziest games you've said you've called or, or been a part of. Do you have a favorite call? Uh, no, uh, not really. Um, you know, the... It is the fun part of it, though, and one of the fun parts of it. You know, as I said, if you get around long enough, especially you're lucky that you wind up in a few places where uh, something really exciting happens. You know, and, and to me, the fun part of it is it's live. You know, you don't get to do it over again. You don't get to go back and edit it. You know, it's either you say the right things in the right tone, and or you nail it, or you don't. So, um, you know, I, I guess what I'm happy about is. In most of the those big moments, I feel like I got it right. I mean, the Michigan Michigan State thing, my voice was cracking all over the place. And uh, but you know, at the beginning, I was sort of like, "What happened?" You know, I'd been a little sick that week, but still. But then, um, but I think it matched the moment. You know, I think that's the most important thing in any call, the big play. You know, sometimes students will ask me, like, "What's your mindset of calling a big play?" Or like, you you can't have a mindset. You know, you you just go with it instinctively. You're sitting there thinking, "Oh, wait a minute." He just dropped the snap and now something crazy is going to happen. And, oh, this is an exciting play. So I better, you know, yell more or whatever, pick some fancy word. But, you know, 
the play is over by the time you process all that in your own mind. So, you know, I think the most important thing is just instinctively go with it uh, in every way, in what you say and how you say it, the volume at which you say it. So, you know, I think that the call of that hopefully helped people remember it, you know, and, uh, and I, and I don't mean to be immodest about it, but I, I do think that's a part of when people look back on that play, it's one of the reasons why they, they think about it is me sounding like I was 12 and about to start shaving the three, in the next few years. The three things I remember most about that was, was your call, the kid in the stands that they immediately. Yeah. The surrender to, Cobra. The surrender yep. Cobra. Yep. That, and, and then the play Michigan itself. Guy, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Well, that's another lesson too of, you know, another, excuse me, reason why I felt good about it was, um, once you call the play, you know, my philosophy has always been on TV, stop talking. You know, once you call the moment, okay, they win the game, you've just said everything you need to say, stop. Because there's nothing that you can say that's better uh, than the pictures. And the, the example you both remember vividly uh, is the reason why. And if I have been talking over that, you know, what can you say right. that's better than that shot? And all the other reaction shots and the noise and the people hugging each other and the Michigan State people going crazy and the Michigan people stunned. So, you know, I don't know how long we went without speaking, but I know it was a long time. And it probably would have been longer, but at a certain point, you know, especially when you're in these windows, sometimes, you know, they're, they're trying to get to the next game, too. So you can't sit there forever. Now, before we get into our two fun segments that we like to send our guests off with. This hasn't been fun so far. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Even more fun. than I've had in three months. <laughs> the first thing I've done in three months. Uh, PJ and I both wanted to know, and this might be a tough one, so if you've got multiple players you want to name, by all means. But who do you believe is the most captivating, entertaining athlete you've had the chance to cover? Wow. Captivative and, and, captivating and entertaining. Uh, but not, not so that would also infer that they need to be a, a great player too. I mean, you could be a really funny, interesting yeah. person. Yeah. Um, well, I didn't cover this guy. The most charismatic person I've ever met in sports was Ted Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys, again, I don't think would be, would have been alive at the 99 all-star game. It was probably close. I was one. Yeah, I was three. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But you know, it was a great, it was at Fenway park and, um, you know, Ted Williams was there, and just to see the way that, you know, the players of that time, the All-Stars of 99, responded to him, but, you know, he was just a guy who uh, filled up the room, you know, and, and if, especially when you knew the history. You know, I was, uh, when he passed away, they had a memorial service for him in Fenway Park, and I was asked to be one of the hosts of it, I guess you would call it, and MCs of it, and uh, it was, we sat in the middle of the field, and we interviewed a lot of people who knew him well and were close to him. And one of the people was uh, John Glenn, who at the time was a senator from Ohio, but had been an astronaut, obviously, and one of the most important people in the history of the space program. And he and Ted Williams had served together as uh, fighter pilots in uh, the military. And so, you know, he said, you know, Ted Williams was the best pilot I was ever around. You know, most people thought, you know, he's referred to as the greatest hitter that ever lived. Uh, people who have fished with him would say he might have been the, the greatest fisherman in the world. You know, I mean, he's just one of those guys, yeah. but he had a manner of speaking, you know, when he talked to you, you just, you know, he was interested in every single thing. Uh, I said, I never really covered him, um, but spent a little bit of time around him. And uh, that would certainly 
uh, jump out. Are we, are we getting the time? To, we, we on we're still, we're good. We got, ten, we, got, we got 10 to go. Okay. Well, I'll try to give shorter answers though. <laughs> we're, we're good. Um, Captivate have been into, well, I'm biased. Again, I didn't really cover him, but you know, in, in today's world, to me, there's no more, anybody more captivating and entertaining than Charles Barkley. Mm, you know, yeah. I didn't really cover games when he played, but uh, he's, uh, he's amazing. I've got this picture over my shoulders from my charity golf tournament. That's Bill Murray. Uh, but Charles has come uh, the last two years. And when Bill Murray and Charles Barkley are at the <laughs> event, it's going to be. last, yeah. <laughs> you talk about captivating and entertaining. That's, uh, that's it. <laughs> All right, those two, those two segments we teased. Well, the first one we call it the Swift Seven. Seven rapid-fire questions. Okay, I'll try yes. to be much more rapid-fire. <laughs> Rapidity is not one of my strong suits, but, uh, especially on a podcast. You know, usually these things go on for days. I pack a lunch, so no, uh, knowing that we have the shot clock here is a little intimidating, but I'll do the best <laughs> I can. All right, let's dive into it then. Favorite arena, stadium, slash ballpark you've ever been to? Fenway Park. Figured that would be an easy one. Uh, what's yeah. the one venue you've never been to, but you have wanted to, to go to? Oh, wow. Uh, you got, this is great stuff. These are great questions. The one venue I've never been to, but wanted to. Um, you know why that's hard? Because I think I've been to every single one of them. <laughs> that's um, awesome. I really don't know. Uh, can we come back to that? Sure. Yeah, we'll circle back. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in, an, in an alternate universe where March Madness 2020 took place, your pick would have been? I was leaning heavily toward Florida State, mm-hmm. you know, which I think people, I don't think they would have been one of the top picks in Vegas, but I, I loved their team. Deep, could shoot, could defend, great foul shooting team, which I think is really important in the tournament. I feel terrible for them, especially for Leonard Hamilton. You know, uh, he's had a lot of really good teams. I think this might have been his best team, and they had a chance to really do something special, and uh, obviously it was taken away from them. Favorite non-sports-related pastime? Well, that would take golf out of the question. Um, oh, favorite non-sports related. This, this is going to make me look like the narrow human being. I, I mean, the other thing I was going to say, well, boating, but that's, that's sort of sports related, I guess. Uh, working out, although you wouldn't know it looking at me. Uh, that's sort of sports related. So, um, I don't know. Um, I don't really have anything for that either. I just watch Netflix from time to time. Yeah, well, you know what, though? This whole thing, we've referenced it several times. The... I've said for decades to friends of mine, like, what do people who don't like sports do? Yeah. You know, how do they fill up their time? It's a great question. Now that we don't have sports to fill up our time, I really, really wonder that now. They, you know, I mean, as much as I, I miss doing games, I miss even more watching games. Because for most of this three months, I wouldn't have been doing games. But in a lot of my spare time, I would have been watching games. Um, if yeah. you could choose, I'm still in the back of my mind trying to figure out the venue that I want to go to. That I... Yeah, we'll come to be- we'll come back to okay. that one. Um, if you could choose only one golf course to go back to and see one more time, would it be Pebble Beach, Augusta, or St Andrews? Um, wow, uh, any of the above really would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, I'd say St Andrews because it's the only one of the three that I haven't had the chance to play. You know, I've done a few. British Opens there uh, mm-hmm. between men and women, but uh, the Open Championships, I should say. But the uh, never had a chance to play it, and that whole experience with the town, yeah, um, you know the the whole setting there is really cool. Favorite event that you've ever gotten a call? Ooh, being a passionate golfer, I'd have to say the Masters. Good choice. Although the World Series is that was pretty good too. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite city that you've ever been to? 
Oh boy, anywhere in the world? Anywhere in the world. Oh boy, well outside of Boston, of course. Right. Um, yeah, because <laughs> I used to come on here and say, uh, welcome you know, to Family Park in America's greatest city. And people say, oh, you're so provincial. I'm like, no, I mean it. I mean, it's, uh, well, last summer I had a chance to go to Rome and London and uh, uh, either one of those are pretty cool. I've never been to Paris. Okay. So that's, uh, that's one that's on the list. We were actually supposed to go to China in March in a trip that was planned since last fall. So, um, no. uh, obviously that did not happen. Yes. And then have you thought about the venue that you haven't been to? That you yeah, to um, I have, and I still don't have a great answer. I, I tell you what it was amazing going to London last summer was Wimbledon. Oh, um, there you go. That's uh, high on my list. Yep. Yeah. yeah uh, but now I've been there. I was actually there when I was, I think 12 or 13 years old. I, I barely remember it, but, uh, it was really cool. Um, let me think of a good answer to that. We have time for part two of our podcast next week. But, um, I'm trying to think if there's any place. Uh, no, I, I really can't. I mean, I would have said the Roman Colosseum, right? But then oh, I was there last sure. summer. So yeah. yeah. That's a, that's a Wait, Wimbledon, Wimbledon's up on my list. That's, that's well, I want to go to Australia. So I, I would say, you know, maybe like the Rod Laver Stadium. There you go. There you go. That works. That was really cool, too. Uh, I grew up as a tennis player. Mm -hmm. I played did junior tennis around New England, played in the, you know, all the little tournaments and stuff. And my idol was Rod Laver. I just loved Rod Laver. And uh, we were in the hotel after having been at Wimbledon during the day. And I looked over, I said to a couple of my friends, I think that's Rod Labor. And they said, yes, it is Rod Labor. So I just asked the maitre d' if we could send him a, uh, a drink in his party. And he came back and he said, you know, they're very appreciative, um, but uh, they're just about to leave. But Mr. Labor said, please come over and say hello. So uh, wow. I went over and said hello. And uh, he could not have been nicer. Really, really cool guy. We actually sat for quite a while. So. Um, you know, even though I've been doing this for a hundred years, it, there are still people like that who you meet where you think, wow, this is, this is really cool. He was exceptionally cool. When you meet, I said this to him, when you meet somebody you've idolized since you were a young kid and they turn out to be even nicer than you had hoped, uh, that's pretty cool. That is. All right. And so that was the first part of our fun segment. The second part, uh -oh, we like three to and have, half minutes. We, we <laughs> like to do a trivia question with all our guests. All right. So we found a baseball trivia question for you. We'll give you 90 seconds or three strikes. Can I phone a friend? No. <laughs> That's it. You're, hey, Tim Kirchner got I his I know wall. Costas will know the answer within three seconds, no matter what the question is. So. Tim Kirchner missed his. So if you get this, you can okay, hold it. Okay. Well, then no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Your the question. Give me a runny nose, though. So I'm your question, with. Sean McDonough. Who led the major leagues in home run in the 2010? So this past decade, from 2010 to 2019, who led the major league in home runs? Do you need to answer that? Yeah, go ahead. If you, that, if you know. No, the no, no. It sounds like when you get a phone call. Oh no, that. <laughs> you're That's, good. Oh, well, I thought maybe we we're taking live calls now. That, that was my phone, a friend. Um, I should know this. Um, I'm terrible at stuff like this. Uh, somebody who's had to play most of the decade. Um, Jose Batista. No, but that's a good guess. You're on the you're on the right track. Josh Donaldson. No. Right too. Uh, I was on the right track. When was I like like that caliber of player, not really a superstar, but a good solid uh -huh. veteran player. PJ, when did we start giving hints? Uh, That's he said he wasn't. He said he wasn't good at this. So I'm trying. I'm not to good at this. Um, <laughs> can I get another hint? Um, he right now. Let's see. 
He, multiple um, teams. Without giving with, it away. Was with yeah, multiple, multiple teams. teams. Multiple teams. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> the answer is Nelson Cruz. Oh, yeah. That would have taken me a while. But you're right. Better player than he gets credit for being. Definitely. In part because he's, you know, played in kind of smaller markets that don't get a lot of attention. At least markets don't get as much attention. No very gosh. good player. Very good player on him. Very we good. cannot thank you enough for, for giving us your time today. We hope that you're healthy. We have a minute and a half left. Why am I getting the bums rush here? <laughs> what else do you want to talk about? Any good stories oh, good. before we kick this out? No, that was really good. What's, what stadium is that over your shoulder there? Uh, oh, it's just a nice, you know, wall picture Fake thing. backdrop of anything? Exactly. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice. Well, I enjoy it, guys. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sean. You're healthy. an Alabama person. I am, yes. Joe's a Maryland Maryland. Guy, so. Mm-hmm. I was, I was bummed you didn't say Syracuse. Maryland instead of FSU. <laughs> Either one of you got into Syracuse? What I happened? got in. I'm sorry I chose Maryland. <laughs> what? Sorry. <laughs> Maryland's a great school. And, uh, and I'm sure Alabama was fun. It was. It was. You've called many of their games. I sure have. And hope to call a few more sooner rather than later. Let's hope. Let's For hope sure. so. For well, sure. thank you, Sean. Have a good Thank you, guys. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Stay thank safe you. and healthy. Thank you. you. Take yep. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was the great Sean McDonough of ESPN also calls some radio games for the Red Sox. And how happy must he be now that he gets to return to Fenway? Incredible. He told us he's going to do about 40 games. So Yeah, that was – I remember last year he, he did – like he was mentioning just like a partial part of it. But like he said, he agreed to 40 right? games. Little did he know 40 games would be two-thirds of the season. So, so good for, for him. Sean, yeah, that he gets all that work. I love, too, that when we asked him what the venue that he hasn't <laughs> been to yet that he wasn't that he wants to get to, and he says, well, I've been everywhere, honestly. Look, if you, if you think about it, a guy of his ilk who's been around the block as much as he has, who does as much as he does, did the Monday Night Football for a while, does college football's biggest games every week. Oh, he's done the, everything. Does oh, the, yeah. the marquee matchup of college basketball every week. So he's, he goes, as far as college venues, he's at all the top ones every week. As sure. far as the NFL goes, he's been to probably every NFL stadium at this yep. point. So he, he did the Baseball, Red Sox for – same thing every season. Did the Red Sox every, for two decades. Yep. He, he had to have been to every stadium. So really there isn't much left. But I love the Rod Laver story was good. And I loved his, his – like I was like getting choked up about it, his Hawaii story yeah, uh, with the rainbow good. and everything. That was the – I said it after we had Joe Beninati on. Play-by-play guys, the best storytellers, just because obviously it's their profession to talk and just they've – See, they see things from such a unique perspective. They're around so many sports. They're always around these events. So many stories to tell. And You just and give them a question and they run with it. You know, it. We, we were just expecting to talk Red Sox 04, the Yankees series, that team. And then he gives us the Hawaii story. And we're like, exactly. absolutely. And sometimes, sometimes like that, you just get lucky in an interview. Like we were, I know we were like ready to pivot to the next thing. And then he whips that out. And it's just yeah. like, you just sit back there and listen in awe of, of some of the stories and he got us he got us both with that whole like you know Syracuse thing in the end I felt, bad. Like, I, I felt bad to tell him that I got in but picked against it I feel like he hates me now but. <laughs> well one but. of the things that he's best known for of course is college football calls the college football playoff every year we know the news that came out about Clemson and LSU Joe it seems like college football and really football in general has been on this roller coaster March and April didn't look so good. You didn't know if they were going to play. Then maybe a couple weeks ago, NCAA comes out and they're like, teams can have these voluntary workouts. They have this plan in place. But then this news comes out 
of Clemson and LSU, two big-time programs, two teams that were just in the championship game. So after hearing that, what are your thoughts now about yeah, this season? Yeah, so for, to pull back the curtain, again, we've mentioned that we record on Zoom. So when Sean was mentioning, oh, we got a shot clock warning up here, uh, for a meeting of, of three or more, there's a, there's a countdown clock. Yeah. Uh, you, you only got 40 minutes. And we haven't – two guys out of work right now during a pandemic, we haven't sprung to pay for the upgraded Zoom. So he, I'm glad he had fun with that. And I bring that up because, to me, I look at college football in the same way right now. College football is on a countdown clock. They don't have much time to work with. It's already June 24th. Uh, having worked with Maryland football the last four years, report date is – it's right around now for workouts and for training camp day one of August or, or like toward the last week of July. So they've, they're under the gun and they have all these positive tests now, which make you wonder, will they be able to start when they have to? And it's not quite like the NFL where, okay, if there's a delay, we push it back. They're students. And if some of them graduate in December or have to start getting ready for the next NFL season, so you can't really then take the college football season and push it back too far. So you figure they've got to start by a certain point if they don't want to cut out certain games. And it's now the end of June and they have all these positive tests. And on top of all of that, for the NFL, at least you're getting paid. You have the, it's, it's going to be up to the players if they, if they want to still go and fulfill their contracts and, and take the risk. The college players aren't getting paid. So the schools and the coaches aren't really in a position to force them to do anything. So there's just, there's a whole lot of things going on. They've got that sort of countdown uh, trying to beat the clock now because they can't really push their season back the way the NFL can. They don't have players who are getting paid to, to really make that sort of decision like the NFL players. And you have all these positive tests. And it, there's just a lot going on in college. I haven't really thought about it much until we talked to Sean because we were so focused on baseball and, and mm-hmm. the NHL and NBA. But now that all three of those – have their affairs in order your mind does go to college football and it's a big worry I'm not I don't feel I I I don't really have a a percentage to give you one way or the other like we had when Tim was on a few weeks ago as far as 60 40 confidence in baseball I don't have anything right now for college football because there's so many variables and then you also have will certain power five conferences mandate their own season yeah just go rogue and (laughs) you know see that the Bama poster up to your left shoulder the big Bama guy you are, the mayor of Tuscaloosa came out and said that the city stands to lose $2 billion in revenue if there's no season. So will they go rogue and have their own SEC season if, you know, if the Mac doesn't play? And if, uh, if there's teams that decide not to play from like the ACC or whatever, like will, will the big teams still have their own season? There's too many variables I feel like in college to really start thinking about it yet. And while teams are questioning whether they'll play, you got Ohio state that wants to have, 25% 25% capacity in their stadium. So there's, there's too much going on to really give an, a straight answer right now. But I don't feel and, good. I don't feel and good. And you talked about how these players aren't getting paid. I also just go back to the fact that they're student athletes. So they're exactly. students first. You know, this isn't like the NFL where they're professionals. This is how they make their living. You got to look after their health, their well-being first. They're going to take precaution. As of right now, if, if I still had to lean towards an answer, I think they're going to play without fans. I think it may be a week or two later. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just so tough because and there are so many colleges. The optics, the optics exactly, of, of, of all if, over if, the country. If you don't have students on campus, but these student athletes are okay to come there and do stuff. So, you know, my, my brother goes to Rutgers, and, 
and he was reading some, some things about whether he's going to be able to go back in the fall or not. And apparently Rutgers hasn't really budgeted it out to have people back in the fall. So people are starting to wonder if Rutgers is planning on having students in person in the fall. So if Rutgers doesn't have students in person, how can they then justify having a football program there and playing games? So there's just so many issues with optics too. It's, I don't know. It's, it's still far away, but it's also getting a lot closer. You know, it's that it's, object. It it's, is. It's that, it's that object in the rearview mirror. Right. That, you know how you know how it says uh, object and mirror are closer than they appear. It's starting to get a lot closer than it appears, and I don't know. It's it's there's a lot of questions to be answered. And you had the news about Clemson LSU. Then you had Fauci come out and say that football was going to be really hard to play. And it's just kind of this perfect storm of now with baseball yeah. coming back and NHL and NBA having their return to play proposals. It's kind of putting this pressure on football. You bring up Alabama, not only in the SEC, there are so many schools that rely on money from the football program. Think about all those teams who – come up to play these schools during their cupcake weeks. They get yeah. paid a million dollars by these schools and they rely on that money for their mm-hmm. athletic program. And they're not going to be able to get that if there's no season. There's so many trickle down effects. Like you said, there's so many optics. There's that, so yearly, many... that yearly game against the Citadel, you know? Right, right. I <laughs> mean, you got all in. these teams over the country. You got travel. It's, it's going to be tough. I'm still holding out hope that they find a way to play, but yeah. Yeah, it's... I, I don't know. And a, a quick note, uh, you mentioned Dr. Fauci. Uh, if, if anybody gets a chance to, to go find, I don't know if it's posted online anywhere, but Dr. Fauci had an interview with Michael K., Don LaGreca, and Peter Rosenberg of ESPN New York this past week. Uh, I guess it was Monday. And he said, um, he, they, he went for like a half an hour. And he, he, in the interview, Fauci said, whenever these other networks, news networks and stuff have asked me about sports, it's been taken so out of context and doesn't paint the whole picture. So to, to what you said about football being hard to play, he came out and he clarified that, and he said, I'm not saying it's not going to happen. I'm just, I'm just saying of the sports, football is the one that they're going to have to figure out a plan. And, and he said, you know, the plans he's seen, he said they made sense, but it's just a matter of it being tougher to plan because of the contact and because of there being so many more guys. So right. he hasn't said it's impossible, but again, you know, you, you try to start – looking at how or listening to how how someone says something rather than what exactly they're saying and the tone around him and others as they talk about football it's with a hint of trepidation and doubt because because of the just glut of players that are there you've got 80 90 guys who who have to be there between players and then their position coaches so a lot of moving parts but again if they can have some sort of bubble plan in place could it work? And we don't know the answer to that. So we're just going to have to kind of wait and see. It's all above our heads, the medical side of it. Yep. And we talk about the coronavirus from college football to golf. And the big story today, as we record this on Wednesday, is Brooks Kepka dropping out of the Travelers Championship. His caddy tested positive for it. Graham McDowell, another player who tested positive for the coronavirus as well. And you just wonder how many – I think golf's coming out, the commissioner – is coming Did he test out positive or was it his caddy as well, Graham McDowell? Was it what is it his caddy? I'm not um, sure about that. I'm not sure about that. But Daniel Berger also withdrew. He's been scorching hot. He didn't really give a reason. So, uh, but you know, putting two and two together, you can guess that that might have played a factor. But it's so far, golf seems to have handled things well, at least as far as getting a positive test, pulling the guy out. Nick Watney tested positive, pulled right out. There were some questions, though, about 
the way they handled the people who they were able to contact trace Nick Watney to like, he was in contact with Kafka. He was in contact with Sergio Garcia and they finished their rounds this past weekend, but they did test negative. But then again, you get the medical questions about, well, people, some doctors believe that it's got a two or three day period before it comes up as a positive test. Mm -hmm. So if, if they tested these guys on Friday after Watney tested it on Thursday, they probably shouldn't have played Saturday and Sunday because you might not get an accurate reading until Monday as far as the, whether you could tell from the viral right. load and stuff. So there's so many questions to, to, to be answered, but optics wise, like the PGA tour has seemed to do a good job of handling what they've been thrown, what's been thrown at them so far. So with Kepka dropping out, he's one of the biggest names in the sport was going to be a popular pick this weekend at the Travelers Championship. I know you bet him last week at the RBC Heritage. He, he was right there. He, he was close great to making tournament. a Sunday run. Great yeah, tournament. Great. I mean, the, the low scores, uh, I think the four score, the, the previous yes. record was 19 under, and you had four or five guys who got the 20. So records shattered at that course, and just the soft conditions played a factor in that. But Kefka, I, he, I put – um, after his Thursday round, I liked the way he looked. I felt confident and, or sorry, midway through his Thursday round. I liked the way he looked. So I hit him on the live line at like plus 2,700. I dropped five bucks on it to win like, you know, one four, just something, something small and stupid. And he almost came through for me. So it would have been nice. But you mentioned to, as, as far as this week goes, I was going down the list trying to make my picks. My original pick was going to be Kepka. God, mm -hmm. my backup pick was going to be Daniel Berger withdrew a couple of days ago so i'm down to number three in the batting order mm -hmm. and I, i'm gonna go with with your boy justin thomas because he uh, plenty of guys made runs on sunday at at uh, the rbc heritage and he was one of them got himself into a tie atop the leaderboard after kind of meandering around the first couple of days and he seems hot and i i just gotta go again I, this week i'm just taking a stab at him because my my top two guys are not playing anymore kefka i love the way he played Thought this course set up well for him. God. Berger, scorching hot, continued his rounds under par streak. And he was a runner-up here a few years ago when he uh, lost to Jordan Spieth in a playoff. God. So I'm just going with, with uh, Justin Thomas this week. I'm nothing wrong with that. He's pretty good. I, <laughs> I this week, I'm rolling with Bubba Watson. Three-time okay. winner at the Travelers, Champ uh, Travelers Championship. If you know Bubba, you know that there are certain courses that he plays really bad at, and there are certain courses that he plays really well at. Mm. And the Travelers is one of those places, Augusta obviously being another. The past two weeks, too, Bubba has made the cut. He's, he's played some pretty good rounds. He finished nine under, I believe, on Sunday. Yeah, and, and he just – he loves, he loves the Travelers Championship. And with so many – big names in the field. I feel like his name will get lost in the shuffle and I'm, I'm rolling. I'm rolling with Bubba this week. I, I, like I think, I think he I get some good it. value on him too. Justin Thomas is 12 to one. What was, uh, uh, I did not look up Bubba's odds, but I got to imagine he's 25, 30 to one, something around there. All right. Transition us into, into our little fun. Where would you go, <laughs> Joe? And I'll, I'll look up the, uh, the, the odds in the meantime for you. Sounds good. All right. So while you got an eye on that, oh, actually, your Actually, they didn't have to go that, that down too far. Oh, uh, nice. He is 2, 4, 6, 8, 10, 12. He is 14th in odds at plus 3,300. So 33 okay. to 1. Yeah, good value. So I like Bubba this week. Where would you go, Joe? June 25th. Again, 
We're a little bit too early for late Wimbledon, not too early for World Cup. NBA Finals pretty much ending, although I did get an NBA Finals in there. So I'll yeah, read I was you surprised off. to see that one. Yes. I have to go back and look why it was so late in this, in this season. So I'll read you off the four choices. Answer choice A is the NBA Finals in 1999, Game 5 between the Spurs and the Knicks with the Spurs up 3-1. to one. You have answer choice B, 1994, Yankees at Indians. Indians are riding a 17-game home streak, trying to throw some baseball in there. And you had to feel with the Yankees in town and with the Indians being that good at home, probably a good environment to be at. Answer choice C, 1991, Martina Navratilova beats Elna Renock at Wimbledon for her 100th career victory. So not only do you get to attend Wimbledon, but you also get a little piece of history. And then answer choice D is 1988 Euro final between the Netherlands and the Soviet Union in Germany. Okay, this is a, this is a good list. I liked last week's. We had some unique ones. I went with the Women's World Cup, mm-hmm. that final, first final. Uh, I don't want to go soccer two weeks in a row. And Euro final, as big as the Euro is, it's not a World Cup. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll check that one off the list. Um, Wimbledon, really want to get there at some point in my life. Yep. Uh, but this, as far as, you know, I, I don't know. This one doesn't really kind of jump out at me. I, I don't even know who the person that uh, Never Tolova beat was. Did not hear that name before. I know you're there for Never Tolova's 100th win and just being at Wimbledon, but I'll put that one aside. Uh, the Indians winning streak, fun, fun little note there, that, that big of a winning streak, but doesn't really do it for me. I know, and maybe I'm biased because I, I know how game five of this uh, – 99 finals ended up it ends up with the trophy lift for the spurs yeah uh, so maybe i'm biased because of that but it's got to be that always 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 i look at uh, if a trophy is lifted and being from the new york area i've seen specials on msg and whatnot of of this finals before and just obviously knowing the history of the game i know that they would lifted the title that night popovich robinson and duncan this was kind of duncan's coronation as far as uh, taking the torch from the Admiral, and he won the Finals MVP. So I go with choice A, 1999, NBA Finals Game 5, Spurs beat the Knicks. I think that's a good choice. I was in between that and, and Wimbledon. But, Wimbledon's great. Wimbledon's great. But I think just because it was such an early matchup in the round, and like you yeah. said, you get the NBA Finals, I think you have to lean towards the NBA Finals. And that leaves us with our last segment, as always. We are one-to-one. One-to-one. And because we had Sean McDonough this week, who is tied to multiple sports, I have Mm -hmm. no idea what sport you're choosing for me, but I'm excited. We we talked about this beforehand. We could have gone three ways. Baseball, college football, college basketball. Correct. I chose baseball for you. Okay. uh, Because it's kind of – there's. I'll I'll ask you my question first. Kind of ties in. We're having a short season, 60 games. Last time a season didn't go the full 162 was the 94 season when the strike allowed, did not allow them to play a World Series after they were more than, I guess, three quarters of the way down with the season. Um, what I want you to answer, and this also ties into one of Tim Kirchin's, like daily baseball fixes that he's been doing. So if you've been watching those, you should get the answer. Mm. Um, but in that 94 <laughs> season, in that 94 season, uh, they still awarded M- MVP awards. Who were the MVPs that season? Let me get your. Uh, actually, uh, you know, no, no. Give me both. I was going to be nice and say give me one, but, uh, but, but, but Ooh, both. Who are the? Who are the? All right, fine, fine. It's before you were born. 
give me one of the two MVPs. One of the I, two MVPs. I can, give, I can give you both. Not saying right, I'll give you one. Not saying okay, I'll even okay. give you one, but well, I'll, I, true. I'll, I'll do I'll, the I'll challenge. I'll start the clock now. The MVPs from the 1994 season. I don't even know who won the World Series in 94. There wasn't. That's the I, thing. That's that's what I'm saying. That was the last shortened right, season. Right, that was the last. Right. That's why I looked there because that was the last season that didn't go to 162. Got you. Got you. Oof. 20 seconds in. Um, let's see. Mid-90s. So the Yankees were good. The Blue Jays, they had won the World Series previously. A minute remaining. I'll go A-Rod. It was not A-Rod. Strike one. Ripken didn't win it that year. Uh... It's a little too early for Griffey. McGuire. Forty Simpson. seconds remaining. Man, it's just mid nineties. I'm I'm not thinking of enough guys. Let's see. Maybe it was a Bonds. No, two strikes. I think if it was like a pitcher, like Clemens Fif- or fifteen Randy seconds. Jones. Oof. I'll go Randy Johnson. No. Oh, Good. You got I, me. See, I, 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 I didn't want to go too hard. I thought it was reasonable, especially if I only made you give me one of them, because the ESPN made a big deal about this a couple of weeks ago with nothing else really to talk about. Um, so on this date, they were talking about it because it also coincided with uh, Tim Kirchner's daily baseball fix. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Bagwell and Frank Thomas would be the answer. And the reason that's significant and why it was all over ESPN on May 27th and in Tim, Tim Kirchin's statistical quirk, uh, coincidence, baseball episode, uh, they were both born on May 27th, 1968, same day, same year, and both won their lone MVPs in the 1994 season. So that's why it was all over ESPN and, and, and Kirchin's feed. So I thought, I thought it was hard because it was mid-90s before we were born. Yeah. But it's been, it's been a topic of conversation during quarantine, so I thought it was fair. I'm sorry if it was too hard. All good. No, I mean, Bagwell and Thomas, obviously, I've heard of, but that was good. I was not thinking, yeah, not it was thinking tie, that. It was just tie-in because that was I know solid. That on All May right. 27th they talked about it. Mine for you is college football, but right. it's not really statistical. All right, it's, it's a funky question, but I think you'll enjoy it. So, there are five teams in Power 5 Division One, not including Notre Dame, all right? Okay. College football, Power 5, Division One. There are five teams whose mascot do not end in the letter S. Oh. All right. So, you let me know when you're ready. Think about that for a all little five? bit. All oh, five? Oh, that's like it's – like- 200 teams, Pete. <laughs> a little bit. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right. Let's go for it. All right. So here we go. Go ahead. Okay. Um, gosh. 200-something teams, and there's five needles in this haystack. Um, <laughs> and it's funny because when we do, like, sporkle quizzes, I get through the college mascot quiz in a second. <laughs> Oh, everybody that I'm thinking of has an S. Um, 30 seconds. Geez. Maybe five was too hard because I figured once you get in a conference, you might get a couple and then you get rolling. That's what I'm, that's what I'm trying to think through. 
Syracuse. Is, is one. Nine. There you go. Okay. Got that. Uh, got 50 Jesus. seconds. So 40 left. Yeah. Gosh, this is a good question. Um, Cuse is the only one that comes to mind, the orange. Um, taking it through the Big Ten, where I'm from. Don't. Oh, Illinois. Illinois fighting line. Two. Very good, too. You got um, 20 seconds left. Five was probably too many. I should have given you. Right. If you can get one more in 15 seconds, I'll give it to you. All right, all right. Uh, Ten seconds. Five seconds. Uh, yeah. Does North Dakota does North Dakota count the bison? They do not. <laughs> All right, time is up, Joe. You're gonna kick yourself. What's that behind me? Oh my god! <laughs> the answer was literally right in front of my face. The Alabama Crimson Tide. You gotta be kidding me. Good. So good. it was Bama, Illinois, Syracuse. The tough one is Stanford because they're the Cardinal. Cardinal. Gotcha. And then NC State Wolfpack. Good. Good question. You know what? Thank you. Five I, was it, tough, but if, three, I would have given it to you. If I, if I would have had, you know, eh, a couple minutes thinking through all the conferences, because I think my mistake was I started in, uh, in the ACC, got them, went to the Big Ten, got Illinois, <laughs> and then I went. Here was my problem. You had, you had an SEC with Bama. You had a Pac-12 uh, with Stanford. I went to the Big 12 next. Because yeah. my, friend goes, my friend goes to Baylor. So I went there next, and it just screwed me up with the time. Good question, though. I like that. So, you know, with Sean, he's got so many. I figured I'd kind of give you a funky one relating to college football. <laughs> so there you go. I like that. I like that. Well, we're starting to, to get the ball rolling here. Yeah, when we started we this podcast, no leagues had any plan in place yet. Very quickly by the second episode, the NHL got theirs. By the third, the NBA had theirs. Now, by the fifth, the MLB has a plan. So the, the light is getting brighter at the end of the tunnel. It is. We just hope that everything can follow through. We've had UFC. We've had NASCAR. We've had PGA. It's starting to come and fall into place. Crazy to think so that exactly maybe one month from today, July 24th, there could be opening day baseball. That could be it. Hopefully. I'm excited, PJ. I, I am too. What a great I'm episode. Still, Sean McDonough was very, phenomenal. I'm still very afraid that, that the Mets win the World Series so because the people could – Joe, uh, I promise you if the Mets win the World Series, you will not apologize to anyone. You, you know what? You're right. grasping to that forever. You know what? You're right. You're right. You know, because at the end of the day, you probably still have to go through the Dodgers, and that in itself would be a pretty impressive feat. That's, true. That's so. true. For me, it's just you got to go through the playoffs still. No matter what, you still got to go through that. And That's exactly and, right. Uh, we hope that it gets exciting. I know Sean's probably excited because – He's yes. got 40 Red Sox games, and uh, I'm still a little bummed about the, uh, you know, the whole. Like I said, I felt bad when I told him like he hates me that I didn't that I didn't pick Syracuse over Maryland. But hopefully, he was so he's he like, you guys didn't choose Syracuse, man. Oh, oh, it's a good man. spokesperson for the school right there. He they loves the plenty. orange. They he got does. that. Hopefully, we have some more some more of those spokespeople coming up yes. in some future episodes that we've got little feelers out to for for guests. So hopefully, those those come through. I love our guests for next week. I won't say who it is because anything could fall through at the last second, but love our guests next week. Very unique, very fun. Uh, but it's been, it's been fun, PJ. We're a month into this, and we finally got sports coming back. 
it's about damn time, Joe. I mean, <laughs> we start a sports podcast with no sports. And then exactly. finally, you know, exactly. finally they're starting to come back. So that's good. Thank everybody for listening. Thanks again to Sean. Happy baseball's back and we'll do it again next week.